Turn with me to two places, and if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We can put one in your hand. Two places, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16, 1 Samuel chapter 16, and Matthew chapter 17, it's on the screen as well, so if you forget what I said, I forget what I say half the time too, so don't worry. 1 Samuel 16, Matthew 17. Like last week, a little Old Testament, a little New Testament, kind of compare and contrast two passages of Scripture. Now we've got some folks coming in, so if you have a seat and you have space, just raise a hand and we can make sure people get seated. Always a good problem to have when you've got to find seats. Maybe we'll build a balcony someday, right? We could fit a crow's nest in here. That's about it, so, but not, not quite a balcony. 1 Samuel 16, starting with... Um, now, a little, little background. Uh, Samuel has been sent to anoint the new king. Now, Saul is king. God has rejected Saul. David doesn't know that he's going to be chosen king. David, uh, he has all of his brothers, and they, they kind of look the part. They're older. They're more mature. They're more accomplished. One by one, Samuel comes, and he thinks that's one. He thinks another one's another. It just kind of goes down the line, and they finally get to the point there's no other brothers left. And Verse 11, 1 Samuel 16, and Samuel says to Jesse, Jesse being the father of David and the father of these other brothers, are all the young men here? And then he said, there remains yet the youngest, and he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes, good looking Irish guy here, but um, good looking it says. The Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Now, I, I agree with a lot of scholars that think the reason why it says, that the Bible says about Moses, he was a good-looking child. Uh, the same about David here. I believe that what they saw was the joy of the Lord. I, I think it's a lot less about uh, his looks. The Bible doesn't care a lot about that usually. But, uh, but I do believe what they saw in David was a joyful countenance. And what was seen in Moses was a joyful countenance even as a baby, for whatever reason, God can do that. Remember, John the Baptist leaps with joy inside the womb. So he was already kind of, God had a hand on him, but it goes on to say, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. The Spirit came upon him from that day forward. So Samuel rose and went to Rama. Now turn over to Matthew chapter 17, our second passage. Matthew 17. Set the stage again. Um, Jesus had said six days earlier that some of you would not taste death, speaking to the disciples, until you see uh, the Son of Man coming to his kingdom. That's in verse 28 of of chapter 16, Matthew chapter 16 first, then we'll look at Matthew 17. 
Now, what Jesus said is fulfilled on the Mount of Transfiguration because Jesus glorifies himself. Moses and Elijah appear with him, and he's in all of his glory. So a little microcosm of the kingdom is revealed, but it's not the permanent you know, coming down of the kingdom because Jesus still has to go to the cross. So after six days, he takes Peter, James, and John, but uh, they, they get all amazed at Elijah and Moses, and certainly we would as well. But in verse 5, pick it up with me. While, uh, while he was still speaking, him being Peter, Peter had a great idea. We could build three tabernacles. Jesus was shaking his head, no, no, that's not, that's not what we're trying to do here. God starts to speak from the heavens. Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, do not be afraid. When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Let's pray. Father, we just ask that you would now, as you anointed David, as you laid your hand on the apostles, Lord, you would anoint this time, you'd lay your hands upon me and your people, that we would hear Jesus only. And Lord, you would anoint this service. And Lord, that you would set before us what you would have us to walk in today and this coming year. We ask these things in your name. Amen. One's a young boy, a shepherd called to be a king. He wasn't looking, David wasn't looking for this job, but God came looking for him. Then we have three fishermen, Peter, James, and John. They're called to be apostles. They weren't seeking any position. They're just minding their business, fishing, doing the work that they had been trained to do in their household. But Jesus came and sought them, didn't he? He said, drop the nets. Come and follow me. And they did. All four men so far had done what God asked them. All of them were, were pretty young. Peter may have been the oldest, but they were all pretty young. They had all done what God had asked of them. And now God was preparing new steps of faith for their lives. Understand, each of them were already being used of the Lord. You might be here today, and you're already being used of God. In some respect, you can say, I know God is already using me. They were already being used of God. They were already effective at the level of responsibility they had already been given. Any of you studied the Bible, would you agree with that? To the level of responsibility that David had yet been given, or Peter, James, John, they were already being effective at that level. They were already obedient to what they had been instructed to do. David's basic instructions came from his father, Jesse, right? But the Bible says, honor your father and mother that your days will be long upon the earth. He was being obedient to that. They've all seen God work in their lives, but bigger doors are about to open, bigger challenges, bigger responsibilities, and greater fruit in their lives, and it won't be easy, <laughs> not at all. When God calls people to bigger challenges, it's never easy. Guess who's going to fight against you when God opens bigger doors in your life? Satan. He will fight you tooth and nail. You'll think that God didn't open the door. 
you could be convinced that there's no way God opened that door or I wouldn't have this much. We talked about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego last, last week, right? They had to go through those fires. But it will be according to the will and plan of God, even the opposition God allows. But what they have faithfully been up until this point of their lives, David, Peter, James, John, is directly related. What they've already been, remember, God sent Samuel directly to David. Jesus, he could have grabbed David. He grabbed the three. He said, come. Matter of fact, three times they see something none of the other apostles see. Jesus came to them. But what they are now is directly related to what they will become. Jesus said, he who is faithful in what is the least will be faithful in what? Much. Jesus said, if I give you this and you're faithful with it, I'll resize the box. I'll resize the box again. I'll resize the box again. And what the Lord laid on my heart a couple of weeks ago when I woke up one morning, about two or three weeks ago for today, is something we'll refer back to throughout 2019. I just feel like the Lord would have us keep coming back to this theme, like David, like Peter, like James and John. Are we being today what God's called us to be, that we might become tomorrow what he desires for our lives, for his glory. For his glory. It has nothing to do, not about us, but for his glory. And how exactly do we do this? Because I don't know if you noticed, there's a lot of stuff written in this book. Isn't there? There's a lot written in this book. Now, you can distill down a few verses. He said, all the law hangs on two commandments. There's a lot of things that we could say we could distill down. But how exactly would the Lord have us be now what we're to become? If you're taking notes, you see the title of today's time of the word, being while becoming in him. It has to be in him. It's not about us, you know, figuring out, uh, well, uh, I took a test and I found out these are my strengths and these are my weaknesses. Nothing wrong with that, but that won't get us to where God is taking us. There's something more. There's something spirit-led. There's something supernatural. Well, we'll come back to the text and look at some insights from David's calling and from the apostles' revelation, what they saw there on the mount. Uh, but here at the outset, I'd like to present to you three statements from Jesus. If I showed nothing else, we could probably look at these three statements and you could go home and just meditate on them all day and it would probably do more than anything I could ever teach or preach. I know that because Jesus said that. But I want to present to you three statements from Jesus and we can ask ourselves, we can each think in our own minds, how does my life, and this is your thinking as, as you look at these three statements from Jesus, I want you to think through, how does my life right now Right now, this morning, this Sunday morning, how does my life right now measure up to these truths, these commandments, these statements that Jesus made? I think my clicker is beside my assistant here. She hates attention anyway, so then she gets a little bit more. There we go. So we've got these three. The first one, three statements from Jesus, and just how do they... How are they working out in your life and in my life? Jesus said this, your kingdom come, your will be done. Is your life, is my life, if 
if we removed every single person from the room and it's just you and Jesus face to face, we're all gone. It's a one-on-one meeting with Jesus. And he says, is your life about the will of my Father? What would your answer be? Is your life about the will of my Father? Your will, your kingdom. Number two, in John 10.10, again, these are all statements from Jesus himself. I have come that you may have life, that you may have it more mundanely, more boring, more miserable, more lame. No. Jesus doesn't lie. The world will tell you all that, right? He said more abundantly. Do you and I really believe, I mean, in our hearts, do we really believe that the real abundant life is found in obedience to Jesus Christ and serving him? This isn't like Jesus said, I'm just going to make all your wildest dreams come true. Because we already know, he said, take up your cross and follow me. So, but he says, the abundant life is in obedience to me and service to me. Do we believe that? Because I don't know if you realize, but everyone's trying to find an abundant life. The reason some people are not here right now is because they're sipping a nice hot cup of coffee, reading maybe a magazine, watching some TV, enjoying some downtime because they believe the abundant life is away from God. Many people are saying, if I can just work hard enough, I can retire in 10 years and travel the world and see it all and do this and do that. So everyone's pursuing the abundant life, but Jesus said, I am the abundant life. So either he's right or everybody else is right. I think we know who's right, right? Number three, third statement from Jesus. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all the other things that you're trying to find are going to be added because they're not found in things, they're found in Christ. Can we say we're seeking Christ above everything else? We have to ask ourselves these questions. By the way, someday Jesus will ask us. We're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. He's going to, at, he's going to measure our life according to his words, according to the word of God. He's going to say, this is what I said, this is what I asked now, the middle one is about believing and trusting. The other two are about obedience. But they all go together, don't they? Obedient kids trust their parents. Obedient disciples trust their master. And Jesus is our master and our savior. If these three verses are lived out in our lives, what do you think happens? What do you think happens to a church? What do you think happens to a family? What do you think happens to a father that so far has never really lived these out? Maybe he's saved. He's not really these out. Really, uh, you know, work first, sports team second, wife third, Jesus is down there somewhere, right? What happens if these are really lived out? Well, we know it'll transform us. No doubt about that. It'll mature us. David's going to go from a young guy to a very mature, he's actually very mature for his age. Uh, it'll mature us. The impact on our lives today and tomorrow will actually be for eternity. And it will be exponential, but not to our praise, but to the praise of God. People will say, God did that because we obeyed 
the voice of Jesus. Here's a definition I put together from various scriptures of uh, what it means of while being, what, what being while becoming looks like. The definition I put together, this is not scripture. I just kind of took a compilation of scriptures and said, Lord, what, what would be a way to describe what being while becoming looks like? And it, this is what I came up with. Being obedient and led by the Spirit of God while becoming ever more dependent on Christ. I don't care how dependent on Christ you are right now, you can probably be more dependent on Jesus than you currently are. Is, is there anyone who wants to raise their hand and say, no, I could not be more dependent on Jesus. I have hit the bar. No. Ever more dependent on Christ. Victorious. Does anyone want to see victory this year? Anyone want to see some victories in your life? Victorious. And effective. No one wants to be, you know what I'd like to have as a really ineffective leader? Nothing, good, nothing better than an ineffective, those of you who like sports, you'll watch play, but I'd like an ineffective receiver. One that just can't catch at all. No, we want effective in carrying out. But, but God's plan is bigger. It's carrying out the will of the Father. It's not about us. It's about the will of the Father. Does this look like your life and mine? This is a simple definition of what our spiritual walk should look like. Very simple definition of what our spiritual walk should look like. It's, it starts with obedience. It's activated by the Spirit of God. It's dependent and increasingly dependent. The longer I've been saved, I thought that I would get stronger and stronger and stronger. And I, I read this from saints of old. I find out that I'm weaker and weaker and weaker, but Christ is stronger and stronger. It's like we're headed in, my flesh heads this way, the spirit heads this way, and we end up being far more used. Paul said he was poured out like a drink offering. You can't be filled until you're first emptied. So you have to stop depending on yourself, depend on Christ, and then the power of the Holy Spirit. It's when Jesus fasted for 40 days that he came back and the ministry exploded because the Holy Spirit was mighty upon him. Now, the spiritual walk is not easy. <laughs> not at all. The spiritual walk is never going to be easy. Jesus said in this world, you will have tribulation. It will never be easy. If you're looking for a off, uh, kind of a year where God, there's no challenge at all, it won't be this year and it won't be next year and it won't be the year after that. There's no such thing. It's not easy. And we'll continue to battle. Number one, our biggest enemy ourselves. Ourselves. You don't have to look any further than yourself. We'll be our biggest enemy. Our own flesh will be number one. We'll have an enemy. Satan will do his part. But if we remain committed, we can still walk this out. And that word committed is so important. We have to commit to the spiritual things more. How many of you are planning on going to work this year? Yeah, I mean, you're committed. You actually are going to go to work every day unless you're sick, unless you're on vacation, or you get a flat tire or something of that nature, right? Other than that, you're planning on going to work. We should have the same commitment, but actually more, to the commands and statements of Jesus. Say, Lord, I'm committed to these things, even though I need your help, 2 Timothy 1.12, to keep that which I've committed, Right? 
And so we have that commitment level, Lord, to say in our hearts. See, God said of David, he was a man after God's own heart. God looked at his heart. Now, if God knew that David was going to have a, a royal fail later, but he still looked at his heart and said, deep down, David wants to obey all my commandments. And so I said, go back to the one-on-one with Jesus. He looks at it and says, do you really want to obey my commandments or are you playing games with me? And God knows the difference. And we know the difference, too. We really do know the difference. God says, look, you make these commitments. You commit to these things, and I'll honor it in your life. We need our spiritual commitment to be greater than our earthly commitments. And, and I'm not, again, the earthly commitments are tied to spiritual commitment. The reason why you'll go to work is you believe that's an important thing. Now, obviously, the biggest thing is you're motivated by a paycheck, and I don't want to pay the bills, and I want to be, you know, put food on the table. But you also, if you're honorable there, it's because of your knowledge of the Lord. But the Lord says, first and foremost, seek my kingdom first, above all those other things. All those other things are going to fall into place by grace. We have to seek his righteousness and his kingdom first. Now let's turn our attention back to David and the apostles uh, for a couple minutes and understand uh, where they were at, where they were headed, and what they would need from the Lord to walk out these steps that God was preparing. And, and know for certain, God has steps he wants us taking. There's steps he wants you taking. There's steps he wants me taking. And here's the great news about the steps God has us take. Aren't you glad that God's steps are never wasted motion? You ever had wasted motion in your life? You're like, ah. Oh. Why do we do that? That was, a, that was a complete waste of time. I'm never getting that minute back, right? Whatever it is. Nothing God does in our life is wasted motion. The steps will never be wasted motion. You know, uh, you, you had to think if you're Moses, many times Moses wanted to quit the job because from 80 to 120, they went in circles. But yet it was never wasted motion because God was perfecting motion. And then there's Moses on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. Why? Because God measures the faithfulness of our lives, not the achievements of our lives. The steps of a man the Lord has ordered. They're not going to be wasted. Now, David, when Samuel comes to anoint him, I don't, just, just a little background, this might be helpful for you and when you appreciate other things in Scripture, uh, other stories you read in the Old Testament, David is likely between 12 years of age and 17 years of age. And there's pretty, pretty strong consensus that he's in that range. We, we know from various things, you can look at the ages of David, uh, when he becomes king and things like that. So he's between the age of 12 and 17 and how many years he had to run from Saul. So we can do the math. Uh, it's not exact, but somewhere in that range between 12 and 17 years of age. Now, he won't become king, so he's anointed. Let's say he's anointed at 15, whether it's 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, or 17, irrelevant. When, when Samuel anoints him with oil, he's not going to become king until the age of 30. So we have a gap here. Oh, we got some training years, don't we? Some rough training years. Difficult. He'll serve. Now, when he becomes king at the age of 30, he'll serve for 40 years as king over Israel. 40 years. 
That's 10 times a presidential term, right? 40 years. But at this point, he's a teen in his mid, early to mid-teens, and he's not even going to become king until 30, which will really challenge his faith over the years, won't it? Because he knows he's anointed, and yet he's not, it's not happening. Abraham, you're going to have a son. When? 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 Right? God's telling you things in your life. You're saying when? By the way, there's also a striking parallel. Uh, if he happens to be 17, it's an incredible parallel to Joseph, who is called and sold into slavery at the age of 17 and comes into power at the age of 30. If he happens to be 12, it's a parallel to Jesus, who is in the temple teaching at the age of 12, and he starts his ministry at the age of 30. Ezekiel was 30 when the Lord visits him. 30 was the year you had, you, you had to be 30 to come into the priesthood and uh, serve uh, in the temple as a priest. And so you've got these different things. And David, of course, he's not a priest. He's a king, or he'll be a king. But anointed, every time you see anointed, the word anointed in the New Testament, Christ or Messiah, anointed was for prophets, priests, or kings. They all had to have the oil poured upon them. Now you have Peter, James, and John, three fishermen. David is a shepherd. They're fishermen. Those of you that like the outdoors, these guys are for you. You know, they, they like to fish, husbandry, animals, all that good stuff. Uh, three fishermen, but they're also disciples. They've also been called to be apostles. They're apostles in training. Now, the Mount of Transfiguration, if those of you that are going with us to Israel, you'll get a chance to see where we think it is. No one really knows exactly which mount it was. We know it was in the north because the higher mountains are up there. But uh, nevertheless... This is in the third year of Jesus' ministry and closer to the midpoint of the third year. So 2.5, if you will, the three years are past. We're on the downward slope, or you could say the upward, up to Jerusalem. Jesus is heading to Jerusalem. Moses and Elijah are there to minister. And then it's, it's uh, everything points to Jerusalem. They're, they're out. Jesus will head to the cross about six to eight months after this point. Uh, James, where are they at in life? You say, well, the, the apostles, uh, what, what do they have in front of them? We know the cross is six to eight months out, but there's a whole lot of things that happen after Jesus ascends. We have the falling of the Holy Spirit, we have Pentecost, and the church explodes under these men. God uses these men for the gospel to go and touch the uttermost parts of the world. Now, James, he has about 15 years left of life. He doesn't know that at the time. He has about 15 years left. He's going to be the first apostle martyred. James will be the first one. He's run through with a sword. He'll be the first one martyred for faith. He has no idea he only has about 15 years left. Someone in this room, you may have 15 years, and you don't know that. He has 15 years left. Peter, he has about 37 years remaining in his ministry. Wow. Wow. He's going to be crucified upside down. He doesn't know that at the point. But he has about 37 years remaining in his ministry. John, the only apostle who will not be martyred for the faith, will live to be the oldest. And at this point, John has about 68 years of ministry remaining. That's 15, 37, 68. David has about 13 to 15 years before he becomes king, another 40 years of leading. Now, whether you're a teen like David 
a younger man like Peter. Peter's probably in his mid early to mid-20s. Or you're farther, maybe you're here and you're farther along. Abraham was called at 75. Moses was called at 80. It's not too late, folks. I don't think you'll live to be 120 like Moses, but it's not too late for God to have a call of something you, you are becoming now that you'll, or you're being now that you'll become. The journey itself, by the way, whether it's James 15 more years, Peter 37 or so years, and again, these aren't exact, but they're ballparks based on what we know of their lives and historical and biblical record. But understand that in your life, the journey is the destination. Every one of those years, God stands outside of time. What's happening right now, you sitting in this chair, listening, if you're listening with the voice, uh, the the work of the Spirit in your life is just as important as what you'll be doing tomorrow and what you'll be doing 10 years from now. In other words, our dependence today, our surrender today, our learning and becoming is a now thing. God says, I want you to be learning of me. Take my yoke upon me now and learn of me now. Don't worry about it. if you have 15 37, 68 years, I want you to be learning now. And everything is of equal importance in our timeline of life. The victories and the testimonies, they'll come later, but right now the Lord says, I want you to be in my presence. I want to leave you with three imperatives from the Lord that we see in 1 Samuel and on the Mount of Transfigurations. I want to leave you with these three imperatives each of them come from the Mount of Transfiguration, though I, I see some of this in the anointing of David as well. And the first is just as we think about what we are to be now, that we become what God wants us to become, we need to be listening. Would you agree? Jesus said, he who has ears, let him hear. And he wasn't talking about our physical ears, although you have to have physical ears. But he was talking about, did you know even a deaf person can hear from God? So we know it wasn't, it's not just about physical ears, because deaf people hear with God through their spirit. The spirit of God speaks to the spirit of man, and that doesn't need, you could be blind, deaf, and mute and still hear from God. Because God penetrates all those things. So we know that it's more than that. Now, obviously, for the most part, you're here to hear with your physical ears, but that's only to transfer it to the spirit level to be listening. And where do we see this? Now turn back to Matthew chapter 17. And God speaks from this cloud, and he says, This is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. Hear him! Exclamation. Now if God's voice thundered, and that's why they dropped to their faces. Out of the cloud, God thunder. It's an exclamation. It was loud. It was God making a point. When God wants to make a point, he can make a point, can he? But for you and I, the best preparation for today, for tomorrow, for anything we're going to face and be asked to do is for us to be hearing from Jesus. My sheep, he said, hear my what? Voice. My sheep hear my voice. My sheep don't run their own lives. When I hear Christians say, well, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. You know, James warned about that. Well, I'm going to buy, sell, I'm going to go here, live there. No, no. If the Lord wills, we will do this or that. 
My sheep hear my voice. We have to hear personally from Jesus. This year, if you, if you haven't been doing it in 2019, God wants you to open your Bible up and mark it up. He wants you to open it up and mark it up. And I'm not saying that you need to... Uh, it would be better to start and say, I'm going to read a couple of verses daily and meditate on Many times, the best, the best time I have in the Word is when I meditate on like one verse. And all day I just keep meditating, chewing on that one verse. Other times it's, it's passages, but even out of passages, I try and grab one thing to think of that I'm hearing from Jesus. I've been meditating on at least three weeks this verse, he himself is our peace. He himself is our peace. He himself is our peace. The whole world looking for peace, and Jesus said, I am peace. And sometimes I've got a lot of things flying around me in the ministry, and I'm like, it's like I, I need 27 arrows, right? And the Lord's like, you're not supposed to do all that. I will solve all these things. Amen? You might relate in your own life. David meditated on the word and spoke often to God in the field. Before Samuel came and anointed him, David was already anointed in the sense that God was already on his life. He was out there in the fields talking to God, playing his heart. Spirit comes on him, kills a lion and a bear. He was meditating on the truths that he knew. He was doing what he could do then for what God would do later. The disciples, two and a half years now, they've been walking with Jesus, talking with Jesus, learning from the insights that Jesus would explain to them. But they were with Jesus daily. You and I can't hear Jesus once a week. If you say, well, I hear from God, I come to church on Sundays. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you need to be hearing from me continually. Sheep, they didn't like spend a week away from the shepherd. A week away from the shepherd, they were dead sheep, right? Wolves, lions, that was it. They had to be hearing his voice constantly. If you're hearing God once a week, there's no power in your life. There'll be no power in your life, no peace in your life. I love, uh, you know, Sam, Sam Nadler reminded us of this, and, and boy, ever since he said it, it stuck in my mind. Consistency equals maturity. Consistency equals maturity. None of you will ever be promoted in your workplace if you're not consistent at things. No, there's no hiring manager. There's no boss. There's no boss above a boss that's going to say, you know, that inconsistent person is perfect for this role. God is saying, I'm not asking you to climb Mount Everest. I'm asking you to be consistent. Take steps again. In the, in the same direction, you're walking towards the kingdom day after day, and sometimes you feel like you're crawling, but you're still moving in the right direction. That was Abraham headed to, headed to Canaan, right? Just moving in the right direction. You can't become a radical giver unless you just say, Lord, I'm going to start giving. You can't become um, someone who's memorized Scripture unless you start reading Scripture. You won't likely share the faith with a number of people until you share with one. Everything has to start these small steps. The Lord is calling us to faithfulness, not great feats and amazing accomplishments. Again, Peter, James, they had no idea the 15, 37, 68 years. David didn't know he'd be king for 40 years. He didn't even know he's going to be king the day he's grooming sheep. But they were being faithful at that moment. And so 
God was preparing them for something else. The Lord is calling us to maturity, not accomplishments. You should rest in that. Those of you that constantly, you, you always need affirmation, you need more likes on Facebook, you need this, you need that, stop it. God's calling you to maturity, not accomplishments. The accomplishments will never satisfy anyway. By the way, nothing man does impresses God. I watched just a couple minutes last night, the Titan Games, yeah, uh, this new show with The Rock. I could only watch a couple of minutes of it because I it's after a while, people fawning all over people just drives me bananas now. This is the most amazing human being ever. I'm like, click, moving on. <laughs> I, I, part of me is impressed, but I, I just, it, 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 our society is so impressed with itself, so amazed with itself. And God's looking down from heaven saying, you know how I'm impressed with that little widow that gave two mites that no one even knows she exists, right? It's the faithfulness God looking at. He's not looking at the accomplishments of man. Uh, but our maturity is not just for us. Did you know that someday David was going to have impact on many people? Someday the disciples would reach many others. David would go from caring for sheep to caring for people. Jesus said, I'm going to make you three fishers of what? Men. Spiritual growth. God wants us right now to be a disciple that we become disciple makers. Be a disciple that we become disciple makers. Someday Jesus will look each and one of us in the face and say, why did you remain just a disciple? Or, well done, you became not just a disciple, but a disciple maker. And this is the calling. I mean, we're all called to be fruitful and multiply. And so God's going to multiply the work of God in the lives of David and Peter and James and John. And he wants to do it as much as us. So the teens that are here today, you can be as effective now as David was. Not about accomplishments. You don't need to be able to say, you killed a lion or a bear. That's not what God's asking for. He's asking for the same faithfulness that David had. God will take care of what results look like. Next one, be led. We need not only uh, to hear from the Lord, but we need the hand of the Lord. Look, look, it says, look at what it says in Matthew 17. Uh, they were greatly afraid in verse 6, but Jesus came and touched them. Arise. We see Jesus giving the instruction. We see him placing his hand on them. We, not, we need not only to be hearing from the Lord, but would you agree with me, we need the hand of God on our life? It said the Spirit of God came mightily on David from that day forward. From that day forward, we need the hand of the Lord to empower us, to strengthen us, to lead us. The Spirit came upon David mightily. The hand of Jesus touched the apostles, and he said to them, this is what he said, I'm paraphrasing, Arise, it's time to get up and not be led by fear, but my hand of strength upon you. Because they were on the ground petrified, and Jesus touched them and said, it's time to stand up, arise, I've got your back. The apostles, they're afraid of God's firm rebuke. Has anyone here ever been rebuked by God? I have many times. I'm in the principal's office four times and I wish to be, you know, in that, in that respect. But the rebukes of God are for our good, aren't they? They're for our benefit. Jesus is assuring them that the rebuke of God is for their protection. 
The commands of God are for our, our protection. If we didn't have God's rebuke, we would surely walk right over a cliff. The rebukes of God are good in our life. They're for our safety. We need to be reassured. And here's what else Jesus said, arise. We also need to be redirected. Amen? We need to be... Do you, do you like when you're reassured by God that everything, he's got, he holds you in his hand? But you also get, with reassurance, you get redirection. God says, all right, take a left-hand turn now. Get back on your feet. Stop wallowing in self-pity. Stop wasting time. Turn that off. God will speak to you personally. We need to be led. Just about anything can be a source of fear or inaction for us. Anything. You think of it, it can be a source of fear or inaction. And Satan is fine with you being either one. He either wants you living in fear or living in with inaction and apathy. Wouldn't you agree? Either way. He's, he's good with it. And you can throw depression or those kind of things in there as well. Uh, but anything can be a source of fear and inaction, inaction. We can be afraid of God's very call in our life. A lot of times we are. We can be afraid of our inabilities. We have plenty of them. We can be afraid of failure, either what we think could be failure or past failures. We can be afraid of embarrassment. None of us like to be embarrassed. No one likes to be embarrassed. We can be afraid of hard work. Oh, I don't have the strength for that. We can be afraid of commitment. We can be afraid of not being liked. People will do so many things just to be liked. Jesus did not walk around saying, disciples, if I do this, will they like me? He did not worry about Now, he loved people, but he did not worry about being liked. He wasn't afraid of the impact to his personal wants or desires. Jesus desires with the Father's desires. A lot of times we're afraid of what it will mean to our personal wants and desires. Jesus is essentially saying, there are things that I want you to be. He says, arise and don't be afraid. Arise and don't be afraid. There are things that I want you to be now and the things that I want you to become, but you're going to have to stand up. You're going to have to take my hand. You're going to have to listen to me. You're going to have to ignore intimidation, and I'll be your strength and your help. It's a paradox. You ever seen this in the Bible, paradoxes like this? It's a paradox. Be still and know that I am God, get busy doing my work. Lord, what does this mean? How can I sit still and go do your work? Spiritual paradox. Well, God wants our hearts and minds to be stilled by the presence of God. And him becoming ever more real and a steadying, calming, peaceful, reassuring influence in our life. He said, you're going to have to still your mind and hear my voice, to hear the voice of Jesus. But it's a paradox because it's not a static thing. At the same time we're to be still in the presence of the Lord, we are spiritually needing to arise and to take steps of faith and obedience, knowing that God will use us to bring about his work in us and through us and his will into this world. So there is a time, and by the way, uh, Jesus says when, when you go to pray, get in your prayer closet and shut the doors. 
There is a time to go be still before the Lord, but he doesn't say to stay in there all day, forever, right? There's a time to be in your prayer closet, but there's also a time where he says, now go out. And if they don't receive you, dust off the dust from your feet and keep moving because we are to be stilled by the presence of the Lord, but also doing the work of the Lord. And by the way, when Jesus said, my burden is light, my yoke is light, you know, the burden is not going to be heavy, he's saying that as you have a stillness in me, when you do the work, you won't be doing it in your own strength. It will be abundant and fulfilling like we looked at in these three statements of Jesus earlier. You might be saying to yourself, I could never serve in children's ministry in 2019. I could never do that. Now, first of all, we need to stop saying words like, I can't. We really, it's, not, it's not a healthy thing for a believer. Dave quoted the scripture, I can do all things through Christ. Yes, you can, you, you'll have the strength to suffer. You'll have the strength to get over the hump of things. You'll have the strength to learn things. You have no idea. Some of you could be bilingual in five years and have a t- to learn a whole new language if we would just yield more to the Lord. There's things God wants to do in our life. That we need to stop saying, I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't do that. Uh, God came to Jeremiah and said, stop saying, I'm a youth, I'm a youth, I'm a youth. He said, stop it. But Paul came to the place, he says, if the Lord wills, it can be done. Uh, so, yes, you could serve in children's ministry this year. And it may just be that the spiritual reality is it may be that God, as he stills and instills his spirit in you, if that stilling spirit comes in and he, he quiets your mind and heart and he fills you with more of his truth and more of his peace, you'll then bring that stillness to children and that equipping to them. Because God has to do in us something before, you know, God had to do something in David and the apostles before they could go feed sheep, spiritual people, adult sheep. Christ is called to be our rest, and but yet we're refreshed isn't that amazing? We are, I've had this happen many times, where I was exhausted. I was talking to the Lord, exhausted, and God said, go do this or that. And I said, I don't have the strength to do that. And God says, go. I couldn't care less if you have the strength. Go. When I leave, I could run a marathon after it. It's always God testing, do we believe these things, and will we walk them out? Last thing, be looking. And it says, and after the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces. Jesus touched them, arise, do not be afraid. Verse 8, when they lift up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. God had removed all the other things. All they could see was Jesus. The more we see Jesus, the more our focus is on him and him alone, the more confident we will become of his plan for us today, his plan for us tomorrow, his plan for us beyond. David and the apostles, as I mentioned, they had no idea what was in front of them. They had no clue what was coming. But they looked to the Lord and trusted him daily. Jesus Jesus said, don't even worry about tomorrow. Isn't that great? If I asked you to raise your hand, how many of you worried about something later this week? A lot of hands would have to go up. If you were really serious, you'd say, yeah, I've got got this, I've got that. We all have them. And Jesus said, I want you to learn to rest in me, that you see my face, that you feel my hand on your life, that you can get to the point where you don't have 
constant consternation about all these other things. Now, they will come back, and then we have to relook to Jesus. We have to keep looking back to him. Sometimes we can't see progress. You'll be faithful day after day after day, and you're faithful. You ever flown an airplane, and you don't know you're going like 600 miles an hour? It doesn't feel like you're going 600 miles an hour, does it? You've got clouds every direction. It all looks the same. You might as well be standing still. But you're hauling, aren't you? You are making progress. It all looks the same, but the Lord is moving us. It's the same way. He is moving us, but a lot of times we want to see progress. We want to understand, do I have 15 years? Do I have 37 years? Do I have 68 years? Lord, tell me how Wednesday's going to go. Tell me how Thursday's going to go. And God says, you need to rest in me right now. Be, and then I'll let that become. A.W. Tozer said, our insistence on seeing ahead is natural enough, but is a real hindrance to spiritual progress. God has charged himself with full responsibility for our eternal happiness, and he stands ready to take over the management of our lives the moment we turn in faith to him. He says, hey, this desire to always see ahead is natural enough, but he says, it's really impeding our progress. Stop worrying about what's coming and start serving as God has asked us today. The Lord is looking for a faithful few. Did you know that? Many will look away when God looks to them. That's the sad reality. Jesus said that the harvest is already plentiful, but the laborers are few. Some of you will hear this message, and it will have zero impact on your life. Others of you will hear it and say, Lord, I'm going to start taking those steps day by day by day. The laborers are few. It would be great if the few is a little more few. A remnant, a little bigger remnant. And I believe God's calling everyone. We're not a big group no matter what. God's called every single one of us to be part of the harvest. And it's this obedience and dependence on the Lord that brings the abundant life and joy no matter what the circumstances and trials. God will be faithful. He's going to do more than we could ask or imagine. Do we believe that? Do we believe that? We talked about last week that... Uh, and I mentioned it already that Jesus is our peace. And the week prior, we talked about his joy becomes our joy. If our eyes are on him, we'll be in his word. We'll be in prayer. We'll be. These are things we're being while we're becoming. We'll be in fellowship. We'll be content. We'll be thankful. We'll be forgiving because we know that unforgiving will never work. We'll, we'll be encouraging. We'll be serving. We'll be rested and refreshed. We'll be saying yes to God's call in our life. We'll take on giants, but not in our own strength. We'll be led by the Spirit and not by fear. We'll be generous rather than reluctant. We'll be maturing instead of declining. We'll be victorious instead of defeated. Amen? We'll be growing as we're becoming. And that's really my prayer, I've been praying it for the last few weeks, that God help us to be now what you would have us to be, that we would become what you want us to become. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we just bow our heads before you. We bow our hearts before you. Lord, we don't want to just hear with our physical ears, but we want to hear with spiritual ears. And Lord, we don't want to say yes to your commands and your truths and your statements, but we want to say yes, not just with our lips, but Lord, yes with our heart. And, Lord, you'd help us 
to keep these commitments. Lord, that if we've neglected your word, if we've neglected prayer, if we've been resistant to serving or giving or sharing our faith or just extending a hand to the world around us, Lord, if each of these things, Lord, are holding us back, that we would hear you, we'd be strengthened by you. Lord, we'd see only you, and Lord, you would, in that stillness, re-strengthen us, fortify us for this day, for what you want to do in us tomorrow and next week and the weeks ahead. Lord, I know that you have much in store, more than we could ask, think, or imagine. And so we ask for your help. With your heads bowed, I just want to pray with everyone. I'm going to raise my hand. You don't have to raise your hand. I'm going to raise my hand. If you say, there, there is more that God wants me being right now than I have been being, and, and, and you raise your hand. I want to pray with you. I'm, my hand is up. There's something God has been speaking to you. It could have been said, I want you, God might be saying, I want you in bed earlier. I want you to open the word again. I want you, whatever it is, God knows. I want you to forgive that person. Whatever it is, God knows what it is. And these things will hinder us. Lord, you see these hands and you see the hearts. And Lord, I pray that you'd wash over us with your forgiveness. And Lord, you would increase. You said if we had a mustard seed of faith, we could move a mountain. But Lord, you would increase our faith to trust you. And Lord, we would be seeking you first, not everything else, but we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.